So what does that word even mean? We just sang it many, many times. We just sang this song saying that God was holy. What does it mean? Does it mean really, really good? Does it mean the absence of sin? Does it mean righteous? Does it mean that He follows all the rules? All of those things I just said are sort of a result of His holiness and they relate to His holiness. But in reality, when we speak of the holiness of God, what we're referring to, and this is important for us to understand, we're referring to the fact that He is unique. He is distinct. There is only one. There is only one God of the universe. There's only room for one God in all of the universe, in this world, in your life. There's only room for one. And He is distinct. He is unique. He is not willing to share that role with another. God says that He gives grace to the humble. I want the grace of God, don't you? He gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. Wow. In my life, I don't want to live my life in such a way, with such an attitude, that the God of the universe now resists me. I want His help. I want His grace. To be proud, quite honestly, pride is simply saying, God, you are not holy. You are not distinct. You are not unique. You and I rule this life. We rule it together, you and I. So you're not holy, and I'm proud. In its essence, that's what pride is. It's denying the holiness of God. It's saying that you're not distinct, you're not unique. We are on the throne together. I want to talk about that concept today and how it sort of plays out in our life. But you know, I wanted to put this image up on the screen and I'll just ask, which are you? Which are you? You know, food is a funny thing, really. If you go very long without it, you know it, okay? And it's just interesting to me that, that in our life, you know, I, I probably eat myself, I probably eat about five or six meals total, okay? I pretty much have the same lunch every single day, all right? I'm, I'm weird that way, okay? I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't, you know, reveal, don't reveal everything. But I, I, I have pretty much the same lunch every single day, and, you know, Nancy and I, we sit down on the weekend, and we think about the menu for, this, for the coming week, and, you know, I got like... We're going to plan out five meals and we got six choices, you know. And so this week we won't have the turkey or whatever it is, you know. So that's just kind of how we operate. And not only do we operate in that way with the same foods over and over, but you guys, you all have funny little rules about your food, don't you? We all have funny little rules. Have you ever known one of these people who absolutely will not allow their food to touch? Okay, I mean, once their food touches, it's just like they're freaking out, okay? Those mashed potatoes and those peas, they cannot come together, okay? They want to have that old school lunch cafeteria tray and just keep everything separate. Any of those people in the room? Oh, I saw you guys, yeah, yeah. 
But then you have those other weirdos that they mix everything together, okay? They mix it all together. It's just one big pile, you know. Just put it in a heap and just mix it all up and I'll gobble it all down. They're the omelet people. They just, they just throw it all in there and just mix it all up and just like a better that way, you know, greasy and runny and just all oh, put it all together in a big mush and I'm going to... You are really weird. You people are just strange. You omelet people. Where are you? Are you one or the other? Now, here's the point. You know, God uses food a lot to teach us. Jesus used food to teach us a lot. Let me just show you this. Just a little, just kind of a, you know, extra thing here. Turn your Bible to John chapter 4. Let me just show you this. Just interesting. As you read Scripture, just to pick up on on trends that you see. And there's, no, there's nothing mystical about this. It, it makes a whole lot of sense. In John chapter 4, verse number 34, Jesus here, after rece- re- really receiving water from the Samaritan woman and teaching her greatly, in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says this, My food, so here's food, John chapter 4, verse 34, He said, My food is to do the will of Him, that's God, who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Jesus says, in my humanity, in my perfect humanity, when I am fully human and fully God, my food, the thing that brings me substance, the thing that that fuels me, the, the thing that drives me, is to do the will of God. You see what God is trying to teach us? We need to be living out God's will like it's food. Turn over a page to John chapter 6, verse number 35. Here again, Jesus is going to use this image of food. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse number 35, I am am the bread that you need to eat. You need me in that way. You need me to to be as food to you. And in John chapter 7, another reference to food and drink. Turn over that, that page to John 7 verse 37. Jesus here says, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. This image of food that Jesus uses over and over and over. And the thing I want you to see is that Jesus is calling to be the the consuming aspect in your life. He is demanding to be the holy, distinct, unique one in your life. Like food to a starving man. Like water to a thirsty person. This is what Jesus is calling to be in your life. And in reality, it's what you were made for. You were made to only be sustained by Him. You were made to only find your satisfaction in Him. And then that wasn't enough because we messed it up with sin. So Jesus remade you. When you came to know Him as as your Savior. And these things are now true of you. He is all-consuming. 
Go to Ephesians chapter 1 now, and you're going to kind of stay there for a while, so you won't be moving around too much more. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at the very last verse of this chapter, the very last two verses of this chapter, where Jesus here says about himself, the Spirit of God says here about Jesus, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, that is to believers, which is his body. The fullness, oh here it is, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is demanding to be, if you are in him today, he wants to be all in all in you. All fullness, all consuming. But I put this picture up here because I want to warn you about two trends that I see in American Berkeley County Christianity. It's all I know. It's all I know. Some of us approach it like the tray. And we've got our work, and we've got our family, and we've got our hobbies, and we've got, we've got our life. And then we have this one little section, this one little tray. And that's where I store Jesus. That's how a lot of us look at Jesus like food. I got my areas. I've got my regions. I've got the things that I'm holy over. Remember what that word means? I am unique above these five of six areas. And I'll give Jesus that one. That does not align with Scripture, folks. That does not align. Listen, let me just warn you. That does not align with a believer. That does not align with a new creature. A new creature lives out, is characterized by the priorities of Jesus. A new creature lives out, is characterized by the priorities of Jesus. So there is no allowance for this separate area that's his. That's one way a lot of us look at Jesus almost like a food. And now, you omelet people, you weirdos that mix all your food together, you're not off the hook either, okay? Here's what this one is. Others of us, you know, we take everything just as it is, and we lop it all into a big bowl, and we throw a little bit of Jesus in there too, and we mix it all up. And we say, now Jesus, don't you affect all those pieces that you're touching. Don't you affect all those pieces. We pour down the skillet, let it cook, and we think we're good. And so now, we, we got the omelet of our life, all mixed together, all twisted together. And Jesus, just these little spots along the way. He's not unique. He's not distinct. He isn't holy. We're going to see in Ephesians 1 that the Lord of the universe is calling for every area of our lives. Every single area. I want you to think now. What's the area that you're protecting? I want, I want the Spirit of God to bring that to our minds right now. What is the area that still lives in that little section on the tray? What is an area that we are saying, God, you can have everything else, but this here, this here is mine. This is mine. I want the Lord Jesus to wreck that thinking. 
And I want him to consume all that I am. And in love, folks, I want him to consume every part of you. That's why we send you the text. That's why we call you. That's why we email you. We are not trying to sell you a product. We are inviting you to allow Christ to consume all. This is what a new creature does. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 15, we're going to see now the prayer of Paul. We're going to see Paul pray for people that he loves. People that he has has spiritual care for, spiritual shepherding over. And I want us to see what it is that he is desiring. You know, if you could hear a man or a woman's prayer, you'd learn a lot about them, wouldn't you? If If we could have the transcript of your prayer, of what you truly pray in those desperate moments, if we could see all of that, we would really know your heart, wouldn't we? We would know you intimately if we could see the prayer that you pray to God. For some, we would hear only silence. Others, we would hear the desperate confession of sin. Some, we would hear the desperate desire for for Him to work in their lives. But we would see the truth. We're going to hear now what Paul prays. And I want want us to unpack this thing. And see that Paul's prayer is for Christ to reign holy in their life. Distinct, unique, all-consuming. Verse number 15, Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let me just pause here, just for context, before we go any further, just to remind you what's going on. Paul was influential in this church even starting. Paul discipled some of the leaders of this church, some of the pastors and some of the elders and some of the deacons and some of the women who who led in this church. Paul had unique ministry in their life. He discipled them. And now some time has gone by and this group of believers has now grown in in maturity and Paul finds himself in prison in Rome. And he hears report about this church, about these people in this town that he loves. He hears about them. I don't know how exactly, but somehow he gets word of their spiritual state. And so he, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, writes these six chapters in letter form and hands it off to others who then deliver it to the church in Ephesus. We also know that this letter was then taken to other towns and read to other believers in other cities as an encouragement for them. But when Paul wrote these words, when Paul actually spoke these words and another very likely wrote them down, he's sitting there under house arrest now, literally chained to a guard. This is his prayer. This is what his heart bleeds when he thinks about his brothers and sisters. I remember you in my prayers. Verse 17, and here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. 
having, eye, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I love that phrase. The eyes of your heart enlightened. So that what? Well, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then in verse 21, his prayer could have ended right there. It could have ended at verse number 20. But at verse 21, it's almost like the Spirit of God just just overwhelmed Paul. As his mind went to Jesus, as his mind went to the Lord Jesus, now ascended at the right hand of the Father. And here's what he says. And he put all things under his feet. See the lordship of Jesus here? God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now I need to say something here because we don't understand what church means. We don't get that because we speak in English. And in English, church can mean a place that you meet to go to church, okay? Or it can also mean all of us as believers. He says, what Paul says here is, he is to be over all things to the people of God. That's what that means. This is Paul's prayer. That Jesus would reign over all things to the people of God, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, Paul is saying, as the Spirit of God is leading him, if you are in Christ today, Jesus is desiring and deserves and will have first place in our life. Give it to him today. All right? Let's walk through this and try to understand, unpack this. I mean, it's a prayer. You know, one of the things that strikes me about this is, is several things that we'll start with, okay? First of all, I want you to see that, that Paul here is, is, is speaking to the heart. He says in verse number 18, there's just a couple kind of, uh, kind of overarching things I want to mention here, okay? In verse number 18, he says, the eyes of your heart's enlightened. Paul here is speaking about hearts. Our hearts matter. Our heart matters. And, and, and there's a lot of things that Scripture tells us about our heart. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You've heard Jesus said that. In Proverbs it says that the heart is the wellspring of life. So, so our, our life flows out of our heart. Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then from that heart your mouth will speak and you will have the wellspring of life. You see, when the, Bible, when the biblical writers use the word heart, they're not talking about how you feel. They're not talking about your emotion. Heart for us means love. February 14th, Valentine's Day. That's this week. Oh, no. Yeah, right. All the guys, right? It is Valentine's Day. And there'll be all kinds of hearts. That's not what this means. 
That's not what this means. This is more your mind. This is where you make decisions. It's your will. It's your mind. It's how you decide things. Paul is desiring, the Spirit of God is praying for us and and working in us that where we make decisions would be enlightened by God's truth. Where you and I make decisions would be driven by Christ. This is what he wants. To reign in our lives, allowing our decisions now to be informed by the lordship of Jesus. He calls my shots. Under his feet I am. Under his feet. I'm before him. He is the Lord. I am just servant. This is what he desires. So what Paul does here, another just sort of overarching theme, I want you to see here in verse number 15, and let this be a challenge and encouragement to you. Just a couple introductory remarks here before we get into the verse by verse. Paul here is praying for people that, he's, that he loves. He here is praying for people that he loves. Is he not? He says, I remember you in my prayers. I never cease praying for you, and I'm taking you before the Lord. And he prays for people that he loves. And the thing that strikes me is what he does not pray for. He's praying for people that he loves. And not once here, or in a parallel passage of Colossians, where you see another one of his prayers, not once does he pray for a sick person. Not once does he pray for a lost job. Not once does he pray that a person gets out of financial debt. Not once does he pray that someone's child will make the team. Not once does he pray that they will get into the college that they want to get into. He doesn't pray about that stuff. You know why? Because in the great scheme of things, none of that matters. It doesn't matter. But we have so cafeteria trade it that we've now taken this little region of our tray and said, God will reign there. But I get soccer, and I get GPA, and I get my job, and I get my house, and I get my car keep running, and I get my toe that hurts, and I get Aunt Myrtle's hurt back, and I... I think the Apostle Paul, if he could show up here right now, And God's Spirit did a miracle. And up on that screen were all of the things that that we're praying about. That we're burdened about. I think the Apostle Paul would look up there and say, What? What is going on? Paul doesn't pray for those things. I'm not saying they don't matter. You know, when my little child runs up to me at four years old, crying, oh, daddy, look what happened, and they hand me a crayon that's broken in half, okay? I don't say, you stupid kid, crayons don't matter, grow up. I don't say that. But I tell you what, if my 23-year-old came up to me, and said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. My crayon broke. 
I would say, get up off the ground and quit your wine and be a man. Folks, it is time for some of us to get up off the ground and be a man. Your foot's going to hurt. Your finances aren't going to last all month. Your kid is going to get cut from the team. Grow up, Paul says, and be a man. There are things that are more important. God wants to be holy, unique, all-consuming. He runs every detail. So Paul acknowledges that. That's my first point. He's acknowledging that in just the simple things that he's praying about, that Christ is all in all. And one of the things that strikes me about this too is I want you to notice not only we see what he's praying for, that they would grow in their knowledge of him, but you need to notice who he's praying for. Notice who he's praying for in verse number 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, so they are, they are admirable for their faith and your love towards all the saints. And I do not cease to give thanks for you, and I am remembering you, so this is making petition on your behalf in prayer. Do you see who Paul is praying for? He is praying for the spiritually healthy. Paul is praying for the spiritually healthy. Not the spiritually bankrupt. Not the horrible cases that everything's flying apart. Oh no, what are we going to do? He's praying for the spiritually healthy. Why might that be? Why might he be praying for those that he's giving thanks for, that he's seen their faith, that he's seen their love? I'll tell you, number one reason, they're targets. You walk with Christ and you're going to be a target by the enemy of God. And Paul's praying for them. Secondly, those are the people that God is using. He's using the people who are walking obediently behind him. And so Paul is praying for them. He's praying for the ones that God is working in their heart. Doesn't mean they have to be perfect. Listen, they got a sordid past that would embarrass anybody if they read it. I get that. So you don't have to be perfect. This is not about you made the right decisions when you were eight. That's not what this is about. This is about he's praying for those that are walking in obedience to him. That this day, they're walking in obedience to him. On this day, they're walking in submission to him. On this day, they're dependent. They're dependent upon the Lord, and Paul's praying for them. Is that you today? Is that you? Do do you need this kind of prayer because you're walking with Christ? Listen, I'll tell you right now. Your pastor and your pastoral team does. I I will wield the sword, but I need a shield along with it now. I need a shield along with it. You should be praying for those that are actually walking with Christ because they need to continue chasing after because there's people following behind them. Listen, if you're walking with Christ today and some of you are made, you've just made a stand. You've just made a step forward. I saw it. Well, I saw it happen in your heart this morning in focus. I saw you. I saw you being prodded towards the Lord. I saw you, and I'm praying for you. Right over in that room, I prayed for you. Because God is working in your heart, and God is moving you forward, and that is the person that I'm praying this prayer 
for. So just acknowledge what's going on in this prayer life. He says, don't let, I don't cease. I don't cease. You notice that? I do not cease to give thanks and to remember you, to make petition for you. You see, this is natural, spontaneous, regular, dependent, that prayer that Paul has. Just on an ongoing basis. And I am, I am asking you to be praying for Centerpoint Bible Church, for the men in this room that are desiring to chase after God. You pray for them on a regular, did you catch those four words? Naturally, spontaneously, regularly, and dependently. You pray for them. You pray for the women here who are going against the culture that's telling them to live for themselves, to, to, to meet their needs, to finally take their rights, to all that kind of stuff, and they're trying to love their, wife, their husbands and love their children. You pray for those women. You pray for these people regularly. They need us to support them. Okay, moving along. Secondly, I want us to see that, that Paul is calling that their hearts and their lives would be aligned with God. As, as we, when you pray for your children, let's talk about that a little bit more. When you pray for your children, because I believe that probably many parents do. I, I believe that, pro- I know, I have talked with unbelieving people, people that, that do not have their trust in Jesus, and are, are even tinkering with complete atheism, okay? And they'll tell me, or they'll ask me to pray. They'll tell me that they are, or ask me to pray for their children. We pray for our children. We do. What do you pray? What do you pray for your children? What if, here's a question, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. What if God gave you the desire of, of your heart as revealed by your prayer and that was it. What if God said, you know, I want to teach everybody in all creation a a very special lesson and I'm going to give them the absolute desire of their heart and boom, stop there. Hmm. What What would happen in those that you have spiritual oversight what would happen in their lives? Would they be straight-A students? Would they get a scholarship to a really good university? Would they score the game-winning point? Oh, wow. What would they do? Or would the eyes of their hearts be enlightened? See, this... This is what a spirit-led, Jesus-reborn, follower of God desires. Paul says, I'm praying, verse 18, verse 17, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, and that the eyes of your heart should be enlightened. Paul's prayer aligns with God. It aligns with God, not this world. Not the the value system of this world. It aligns with God. It aligns with what God is wanting to do in our lives. A lot is revealed by our desires. Much is revealed by what we desire for other people. Paul's desire was that there would be alignment with God. You see, here's the reality. And, And let me just tell you. 
It all does, it all full, it comes all full circle. It truly does. It does come full circle. Here's my point. Billy Graham made this, what I'm getting ready to say, this statement famous. And it's still true today. If I could do a Billy Graham impersonation, I would do it right now, okay? But here's what he said. Our biggest problem, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, But here's what he said. Our biggest problem is a sin problem. It's not your finances, it's not your marriage, it's not your spouse. It's not your child, it's not your employment, it's not your finances, it's not your poverty, it's not racism, it's not the environment, it's not your friend circle. Our biggest problem is a sin problem. So all those other fruits in our life, all those other things in our life that are struggling, we must be aligned with God for His solution. And here's the full circle truth. He's going to use all those things that you're desperately praying would go away. Oh God, let them make the team. You know, all those things that we're praying for. God's going to use those failures to open up their eyes that their hearts might be enlightened. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Moving along, moving along. Let's talk about this enlightenment. I just, I love that phrase in verse number 18. Paul says, I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm I'm going before in verse number 16. I'm remembering you in my prayers that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. This is, by the way, I didn't say this, but this is, this spirit is not the Holy Spirit. It's not the person's spirit. This is a, this is a disposition. This is what they're known at, known for, okay? He's praying that they be known for this kind of wisdom and this kind of knowledge. And what is that knowledge and what is that wisdom? That the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. See, here's the amazing thing about this prayer. This enlightenment prayer that Paul is praying for those his spiritual oversight over. Paul recognized, and I recognize, and you and I should recognize in our own lives and in other people's lives, that this is a work, hear this now, that only God can do. Only God can do this. There's nothing I can do to fine-tune somebody else's eyes of their heart that they might be enlightened. I can't do it. I can't purchase some kind of weird glasses that someone's going to put on their chest so that their heart eyes can see truth. This is a miracle that only God can do in a person's heart. And so this is a prayer that I must pray. You see, I don't have time to pray for things that I could actually manufacture if I wanted to. In reality, I could take your son or daughter. Believe me, I can teach anybody math. I can. I could take your son and daughter, and I could spend hours with them. Some of you are saying, Lowell, you don't know what it was like for me in math. I'm telling you, you give me enough time, me, you, in a room, and I got a piece of paper and a pencil. That's all I need. And I promise you, I can teach you math, and you'll walk out of there able to do math problems. I can do it. And Glenn can teach you science. I know that he can. So we can manufacture a GPA. We can do that. So why am I praying for it? 
Brock can take your son and adopt them and teach them soccer day in, day out, day in, day out. And I'm telling you, by the time they're a senior, they're going to get scholarship opportunities. Throw that ball against the wall 200 times a day, and you'll get a scholarship. You see, we can do these things. We can manufacture these things. So don't waste your time asking God to do that. Let's pray for God to do miracles that only He can do. Like creating eyes in hearts that are enlightened that they will know Verse number 18. I can't say it any better than this. That they will know what is the hope to which He, the Father, has called you. What are the riches of His His glorious inheritance? You know who that is? That's Christ. Christ has brought a rich inheritance to us. And this is according to the working of His great Might, I skipped the phrase, I'm sorry. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? You know what this is? Who this is? This is the Spirit. This is, Paul is right now, he is just cataloging what he just said in Ephesians chapter 1. He's saying, I'm praying that you will grasp what I just told you in Ephesians 1. God, in eternity past, chose you to be predestined that you might be holy and blameless. And Christ has given you redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and made known to you the mystery of His will. And you have received the promised Holy Spirit That seal guaranteeing your inheritance. Paul is saying, I am praying diligently. I am never ceasing. I am praying regularly, dependently. Just just as I'm going through my day, I am not ceasing to pray that you would understand this great riches that you have in Christ. Now that, folks, is something that we must pray for those that we have spiritual oversight over. Be it your children, be it your grandchildren, be it your friends, be it your church. This is what you pray. Don't pray for my hurt back. And it hurts right now. It does. Don't pray for that. Pray that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened. Let's pray that we would understand these riches that we have in Christ. And pray for my children that way. I'm asking you. I'll just tell you right now. Pray for my kids that they would get this and pray for your own that they would understand these truths. I'll ask you this. If you're not praying for these people that you have oversight over, fill in the blank, children, grandchildren, friends, whatever, if you're not praying for them, who is? But now that hurts. I shudder to think. How many kids are walking around into their schools tomorrow morning? Some of them going into a pit of anti-God pagan thinking. 
Others are going into a place that might look like it has all the, it has all the dressing of Christianity. But do not be mistaken, the world lives there too. You know why? Because people are there, and we bring it with us. I shudder to think how many of these people are walking into workplaces, adults, and nobody is praying that their, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. I want to be so blinded by the truth of Christ that I see no other lies. That's what I want. That's what Paul is praying. Enlightenment of the eyes of the heart. Just continuing, just, just to fin- finalize this, this last prayer. I mean, we, there's so much here, but I don't want to jump to the end. Verse number 22. There's a calling here of commitment. There's a calling here, there's a calling for an acknowledgement, for alignment, for enlightenment. But here at the end, at verse 22 and 23, is a call for commitment. Let's read it. He says, and he put all things under his feet. God put all things under the Son's feet, is how I read this. And gave him, Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the ecclesia. That is the Greek word that means all believers who have been called by Christ. He, is, he has given Jesus as the head over all these believers. And these people are his body. They are his body. This, this room is not his body. We are his body. And, and in this body, in this believing group of people, Jesus he is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul here is calling us to a commitment. And the commitment is to get rid of the trade dividers. To get rid of the trade dividers and to allow him to not infect every area like an omelet. No. To be every area. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 4. When Christ comes, who is our life? He says. Paul didn't write, Christ who affects most of our life. Christ who affects a piece of our life. Christ who is in little bits and parts of all of our life. He said, Christ who is our life. That's the commitment. That's the commitment that Paul is calling us to. Now let me give you just one little, you know, little, little reality. And it's the truth. And it, it stings a little for some. A lot of us desire. We desire for Christ to rule. We desire for Him to be over all. And there's people right now listening to right in this moment, and they're thinking, oh God, I want this. I want this, Lord. I want you to rule my whole life. You are wholly distinct, unique. And man, I, re- I champion, I champion your heart. 
But the reality is you've got to get up and you've got to walk out of this room. And in just a short amount of time, there's going to be a little adage of life that you're going to see played out. And it's this. You measure the strength of a priority by how easily it's bumped. It's a reality, folks. You measure the strength of commitment and of priority by how easily it's bumped. Now, for those with religious baggage in your life, understand, I'm not saying, so go follow the law. I'm not saying, so be a good boy. I'm not saying, obey the commandments. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, Christ Rule in your life. And you will hear His rule through His Word. You will hear His rule through His people. You will hear His rule through His Spirit. Allow Him to rule in your life. So when we sing that song again someday... Where we're praying, you are holy. We're singing, you are holy. Oh God, reign in me. It will be worship in spirit and in truth. This is what God's desire is for us. As seen in the prayer of Paul, as the Spirit of God led in his life. And I call you to it today. Let's pray to Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, Lord, we... We come before You acknowledging that You alone are holy. Father, we want to align our lives with You. And this is an everyday decision, moment by moment. Strengthen us today in Your Spirit. Father, enlighten us. Enlighten those who are around us. Enlighten those that we lead. Give them the, let the eyes of their heart, Lord, see the wonder of the hope we have in Christ. And then, Father, may our commitment be to allow you to reign, to reign in our lives. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy. That was new this morning. Your mercy was new. Father, you forgive and you empower and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.